What's up, my friends? It's Devin here. I am your host. <clears throat> Welcome to the Huddle Wisdom Podcast. I'm still nursing this cold that hasn't left me. It's really hard to shake. Um, uh, for all of you people who are suffering, I am with you there, my friends. And um, I pray you have a speedy recovery. Uh, today, I'm going to talk about how we teach our kids to see the good and the bad in people. <clears throat> Most of you uh, who know me personally will know that I have this thing <clears throat> where I think, um, you know, Tesla and Elon Musk, uh, you know, mm, really aren't what it's all cracked up to be. They Elon is a highly polarizing character. I'm aware of that. Uh, and people fall into two groups. Either you really hate everything that he stands for, or you worship him. And believe me, in my opinion, uh, he's really not the Messiah. And between you and me, what I would say is, don't believe everything that you read on Twitter. I'm going to talk about um, a range of things today, stereotypes and prejudice, and how do we help our kids to form a balanced view of the world? What mental models can we teach them to help them um, navigate, uh, you know, complexity in the world? How do we help them to have a healthy uh, way of looking at things without getting drawn into extreme camps. So I'm going to tell you today how you might be able to help your kids with that. So stay tuned. It's Devin. Welcome to the Huddle Wisdom Podcast. Oh, what's up, my friends? It's Devin, the psychiatrist and the host of the Huddle Wisdom Podcast. Welcome. <sighs> we tend to form stereotypes and we group people into uh, either an in-group or an out-group, an other group or a me-group. We like to categorize, sort and file people into categories, don't we? Into um, things that we can easily understand. Um, we, we do this quickly. And sometimes we're not always aware that we have done so. Because it takes a lot of mental energy just to be cognizant of these sorts of processes. And you know, we've got a lot on our plates in the day, and so it's efficient to just sort information out automatically. Um, you know, there's lots of things to be done. Supermarket shopping, uh, lawn mowing, picking up the kids, work, 
um, TV, <coughs> video games, very important. You must play video games. Uh, read the paper. Catch up on, on the news. Kids, sports, uh, friends, um, hobbies, cars, soccer, jujitsu, um, coffee. Ah, oh, so many things. So many first world things to worry about, right? So many, so many things. <coughs> Excuse me. It's simply, um, well, sorry, simply you know, proposing that we shouldn't categorize or stereotype. It isn't going to lead to any meaningful uh, or deep transformation for our kids. Uh, you can't just tell your kids this stuff and... Uh, expect them to adopt these constructs, concepts, and ideas, and then apply them. Uh, we have to practice them ourselves, and we have to show that to them in a tangible way, both directly and indirectly. The premise here is that the more we learn how to recognize our own uh, tendencies to stereotype and group and categorize, but at the same time, uh, talk about that in an open and transparent way. Um, our kids pick up on that through osmosis. And um, it gives them a good frame on which to hang um, uh, <clears throat> on which to hang important um, experiences off. Um, so, uh, starting off, you know, it's good to give them something of a model that allows them to then um, go forth and explore uh, safely using this framework. Um, to be more specific, um, what I would say is that we have to teach our kids to learn how to appreciate differences in others because the more that we appreciate each other's differences the more we can recognize how similar we are the more that we appreciate each other's individuality the less likely it is that we are to stereotype um <clears throat> Because, like I said much earlier, um, people, we have a tendency to categorize people into groups, in-groups and out-groups. And um, people lose their individuality when we, when we move them in our minds to, to a certain group with certain characteristics. And so uh, individuals get, um, uh, get to be marked by characteristics that we have ascribed to them based on um, arbitrary categories that we've um, uh, that we've uh, that we've 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 put them in um, you know they are on the outside and we are on the inside and people on the outside look like this people on the inside act like this 
If you don't act like this, then you're on the outside. And that's a very arbitrary way of thinking about people. But we do this automatically without thinking. Um, just think about <clears throat> um, how you might be more likely to be empathic towards members of your next of you know members of your family as opposed to people outside your family. Now I know that some families don't function in that way. Some people are really not very empathic to people within their own family, but in general, you're more likely to empathize with people that you like and people that you feel are connected to you or people that you feel are like you, like your friends. You might be more likely to empathize with your friend than a stranger. <coughs> you may offer, uh, you may be more likely to offer sympathy to your friend versus a stranger. Uh, for example, I always use this example of um, <laughs> the Ford driver that cuts Dr. Tan off on the street. Um, and um, and then, you know, sometimes that might elicit a little bit of rage. Uh, you know, it's 2 out of 10 rage, so it's not 10 out of 10. I'm getting better. Um, because what I've done is I've categorized that Ford driver that cut me off as in another group. And what is that group? Well, it's a group of jerks that like to cut uh, people off when they're uh, trying to get to work. Like me. <clears throat> you know, but I've categorized that poor Ford driver. In reality, that poor Ford driver could have been another dad like me just trying to get their kid to school. So it's important that we teach our kids to um, uh, um, to be aware of this tendency to categorize and automatically put people into groups. I think it's just what humans do. And I think there's, there's clearly a survival advantage to doing that. But sometimes it's not that helpful in our modern world. Um, especially in a world where we've become increasingly disconnected from one another. You know, our families, our nuclear families are so separate from other nuclear families that we, are in, we have to be intentional about connecting with other families. No longer do we just have a village that can raise our kids um, all together. You know, we deliberately and intentionally have to um, curate and bring together people in order to form a village. Um, no longer is it something that we can just expect of our communities. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, I think um, this, this sort of environment challenges uh, our ability to um, uh, uh, to to think um, more broadly and more deeply about what people really are like, because uh, it takes a lot of effort, you know, to to think about what someone else in another group 
uh, is really like as an individual. It's much easier to hate on someone. And in some cases, it actually gives people some pleasure. You know, as a group, when you hate on someone together, it's almost like it brings people, <laughs> brings the worst of people together. Um, and it's like this party that people have, this, um, you know, slag party. You just slag people off uh, who are not like you. And um, for those of you who are more self-aware, I mean, it's fun to begin with, but after a while you feel kind of dirty. Um, this happens a lot on Twitter, by the way. Um, I, I like to <clears throat> to scroll through my Twitter feed every now and then. And I, I'm always entertained when I look at um, um, Tesla fanboys <laughs> interacting with um, what uh, what we call Tesla Q um, uh, community members who are you know very anti-Tesla and anti-Elon Musk. It's very interesting, you know, both groups on polar opposites of the um, uh, of the Elon. Uh, f f um, sorry, what am I saying? Uh, one group hates Elon, another group loves Elon. Okay. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so how do we help our kids to um, uh, to be less uh, susceptible to uh, forming stereotypes that aren't always that helpful? So. One uh, one idea that I think is really helpful, and I've alluded to this before, is that I think if we celebrate each other's differences, and we need to make a big deal of that, um, the more that we can do that, uh, the the better able we are at then recognizing how similar we are. Um, you know, it sounds counterintuitive and maybe a little bit esoteric, but let me explain. So I've said before, humans have much less empathy for people that they perceive as being different to them or, you know, anything that's not familiar. So, like I said, there is a survival advantage to that. Okay? I'm not saying that kids should just, you know, go and talk to strangers. That's not what I'm saying. You know, you've got to teach them boundaries as well. But you also have to teach them not to just assume the worst about people. Because how horrible is that, you know, to live like that? I mean, you can if you want. It's up to you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you if you want your kids to have, you know, a more open-minded approach to people. This is one way of doing it. Um, so we have to make the unfamiliar familiar, so to speak. Um, an example is that there's already some contradictory evidence that suggests, with respect to race and culture, adopting a so-called colorblind stance might actually breed more suspiciousness and weariness in other groups. Simply by Avoiding your feelings about color differences means that you then don't have the opportunity to become accustomed to it. So if 
you deliberately ignore difference, you become more close-minded. So by having open discussions with the kids about differences and individual differences and similarities, it forces them and us to see people as people, as individuals, even within the same group. So if there are differences within the same group, and similarities within the same group. Surely there's differences and similarities in out-groups too. So maybe we're all kind of the same, right? As individuals... <coughs> so when we engage in deeper exploration of differences, we, um, we help our children to draw a wide circle around people, uh, rather than people belonging to certain groups. Uh, but again, like I said, it's just part of humanity. You know, I think there are always going to be groups because that's important to have for survival. But I think if we are more open-minded and learn that people in other groups can be just like us, but the only difference is just culture and the way they live, um, we could cooperate and co-create more meaningfully, more peacefully. It's okay to appreciate differences. We discover that our values may actually be very similar. But, of course, the expression of values might be a little bit different depending on how you grow up and what your culture is. So, for example, in Asian culture, um, you know, our we traditionally like to gather around food, and um, and in some Asian subcultures, beer, beer and spicy food, yum yum yum, right? Just like my wife's family, right? Uh, I think they're Scottish. Whiskey, and food. Whiskey and food. Yum, yum. Different cultures. Similar values. Family, food, and alcohol. Family, food, God, and alcohol. Right? <clears throat> How different is that? Well, it's not. We're not different. We look different. I, she's got round eyes. I've got almond eyes. But we both have eyes. Just different shapes. Anyway, learning to take different perspectives into account is really important for helping our kids develop critical cognitive skills. Yes! Now that's a topic for another day, okay? And um, the reason why that is, is because I don't often like to run out of ideas for podcast episodes, and that's a great idea for a future podcast episode. And it keeps some powder dry. But that's a good point. Write that down. Taking different perspectives into account helps us to develop critical cognitive skill sets. It's important because it helps us to counteract things like fundamental attribution bias or error which i've talked about before 
and it's that thing that predicates road rage. It can be a bit of a double-edged sword, you know, because if you're constantly um, joining another person's emotional experience or perspective, that can be quite draining. So you've got to teach kids how to set up boundaries and limits for themselves too. Um, what was I saying before? Oh, okay. <clears throat> so in groups, out groups, um, we empathize better when we uh, feel like we know someone uh, or that we like someone. One of my um, old bosses uh, told me once uh, during my um, training as a registrar, uh, he said that, um, hey, when you see a patient, try and make sure you like them. Try and like them. And I laughed. I said, that's stupid. No, <laughs> that's dumb. Why? <laughs> what do you mean? I thought you were going to give me some, um, you know, um, sagely bit of, uh, I don't know, wisdom. Some Freudian thing, Jungian thing, Rogerian thing, Gestalt thing. No, 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 I just want you to try and like them. Little did I know, that's very much uh, what Carl Rogers talks about. Talks about giving people unconditional positive regard, which is a, which is a fantastic way of disarming and engaging, uh, and then opening up conversations with people so that they trust you. Um, and then you can take their perspectives, which means that you understand them better, which means that you give them better care, which means they feel more understood, which means, which means that they like you and then you like them. And it's just a virtuous cycle of goodness. So, you know, it was good advice. Like your patients. It's something that I've taken into my career. Like my patients. Um, if you're a doctor... I recommend that you try to like your patient. Interestingly, um, <clears throat> this works really well with patients who tend to be a bit prickly, uh, but they're prickly for a reason. Trying to navigate our health system is horrendous. Uh, no wonder they end up being a bit prickly. So, like them, okay? They've been on a journey, it's taken them a lot to get to you all right <clears throat> gosh i remember when i was a um, student intern um, working in a missionary hospital in west africa niger french-speaking country and um, uh, patients would walk for miles and miles and miles to get care at galmi hospital um, you know, from Nigeria and from neighboring West, uh, African countries. <clears throat> I don't know why I'm bringing that up. But um, none of them spoke French or English. Um, they spoke their local um, dialects from their own countries, in the, from their own cultures. But, um, you know, I think we, we could connect on some level. And... Um, one of those ways to connect was 
through the sharing of uh, certain foods, um, which was amazing. Um, gosh, I don't know why I went there. Uh, just a interesting side note, I guess. <clears throat> so, like your patients, okay? Like them. Um, amazingly, that year, the year that my uh, mentor told me to like my patients, I got a lot of free fruit from my patients that year, which was great. Because I wasn't earning a lot of money back then as a trainee psychiatrist. Right. Now... <clears throat> For us as adults, we can do this, you know, because we have a little bit more cognitive uh, capacity, power, impulse control. Um, children tend to struggle, especially if they're younger, uh, to make this mental switch. Um, because, you know, kids uh, don't like their enemies very much, so it's hard for them to immediately try to like them. Uh, so what I try and do in clinic is I say to my patients or my kids, hey, I want you to think about uh, the emotions that that kid might be feeling now. How intense do you think they're feeling? Ooh, that guy looks really angry. Uh, how angry do you think they are? You know, and they might say, oh man, really angry. Like what, 10 out of 10? Yeah, yeah, 10 out of 10. Ho, ho. He is, he is peeved off. Um, I wonder why he's so peeved off. And say, like, oh, because, uh, you know, so-and-so did that to him and he's peeved off. Oh, man, just like how so-and-so did that to you. <coughs> kids can relate to other kids based on how they feel. Sorry, I'll say that again. Kids are more likely to empathize with, an, with another person when they can stop and reflect on what other kids are feeling because other kids can relate and sympathize with feelings uh, rather than situations per se. For example, oh yeah, I would feel angry too or peeved off if that person did that to me. And that's just a bit of an in for them to start connecting with someone that they wouldn't normally be friends with or like. The idea is to help kids to realize that Humans, we can share the same struggles about things. Uh, or we can have the same feelings about different struggles. Um, and it helps connect them. So what I would encourage you to do, actually, is maybe as a bit of a project, start a book club or a movie club at home. And one thing I like to do is analyze villains. And like to humanize them because... It's an interesting exercise for a number of reasons. Now, I note that <coughs> humanizing villains doesn't excuse their behavior, but it trains children to see other people's perspectives and feelings and helps them become more curious about what rationalizations villains use to justify their actions. You know, so rather than just jumping to conclusions about other people's moral character, they're more likely to think more deeply about their motivations um, and what drove them to act in certain ways. For example, uh, sometimes I like to talk to my patients in clinic about Darth Vader. So, do you know Darth Vader? Oh man, yeah, he was a bad guy, wasn't he? 
Yeah, but did you know that Darth Vader grew up without a mummy? He didn't have a daddy. And uh, his wife died. And he lost his kids and doesn't know where they are. Oh, wow, that's really sad. Yeah, it is sad, isn't it? And um, he, he, I mean, <clears throat> he got it a bit wrong, but he felt that his teacher who he trusted uh, was trying to hurt him. And he felt humiliated and ashamed. <clears throat> and then his, his mentor cut his arms off and his legs off. Okay, maybe don't say that to your kids because that's a little bit traumatic for some. And then now he's got like robot arms and legs. And now his um, his father figure is this old prune prune man, Emperor Palpatine. A shriveled, dried up old man. <coughs> Arr, Darth, I want you to destroy Luke. Destroy him. Arr. He offended me. He didn't want to join the dark side. What a lame-o. Destroy him. And then Darth Vader, you know, he gets a tinge of guilt, right? And then he decides that he wouldn't take out his own son. <coughs> but, you know, when, once you start to um, humanize a villain, you start to turn that mental switch and you say, no, I'm going to try and understand this guy. You know, what motivates him? What drives him? Um, it it does change the dynamic. Um, it means that we start to treat people different, and hopefully that's positive. Speaking of villains, children feel um, stuck when they are made to feel ashamed or humiliated, and they start to show less empathy to others when they perceive that others think that they are the villains, just like Darth Vader. Um, so we as parents and adults and teachers and doctors, we must be very much aware of our own tactics. We have to guard ourselves against making kids feel threatened or our patients feeling threatened or humiliated or ashamed. Otherwise it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if we treat people as villains. Don't be surprised if they start acting like villains. Okay, that's enough truth bombing from me to you, my friendly friends. It's Davin. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm the host of the Huddle Wisdom podcast. Um, and before I leave you, uh, I just wanted to again remind you... Uh, that the one of the courses that I put together, the practice of empathic discipline, uh, it's a way to discipline kids in a compassionate way using empathic connection. About nine uh, keys to help you um, teach your kids uh, to be more empathic with one another. You get more compliance without the friction because you work on your relationship and you make that solid. And I'm going to teach you how to do that. And you don't actually have to... 
learn a whole bunch of strategies and techniques. You just have to learn a few principles, get that under your belt. And then pretty much you can sort out most situations just by incorporating some of these key concepts. Um, I want you to have that. I want you to go to um, huddlewisdom.com forward slash practice. Um, it's lifetime access happiness guarantee from me um, which means that if you don't like it you know I give you your money back but why would you want that you want the course you wanna you want your kids to do well you wanna do well right go get it my friends go get it go and get it it's Devin I'm a psychiatrist uh, I've said that so many times I'm the host, Handle Wisdom. I'll see you next time. I'm so grateful to you. See you later, my friends. Bye.